I think for some reason, everybody wants to be selfish and hoard all the money to themselves. And so they're like, I'm the billionaire. And, they, and, and I think it's because what we see is like an individual billionaire. We see like one billionaire, Jay-Z, one billionaire, Kanye West, one billionaire, LeBron James. And we don't realize that there's people out there building companies and everybody becoming a billionaire. He's a billionaire just because he's a CFO or something. He's a billionaire just because he's a founding partner, not the founder, the founding partner or an early employee who got equity in the company. And they're very wealthy. And so what's interesting is it's possible to build one project and everybody become rich. And we take the employee mindset into everything because that's all we've ever known. All we've ever known was my, 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 mine. And that's why the word mine probably ain't going to be used in my household very much. Everything is ours. Everything. Because we're building this together. We're doing this together. Tweet talk. And we're back. What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Megan himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Uh, happy to be here, man. I've always I've always seen it, and I've been, like, I've been hanging around with you guys for a long time, and I'm like, I still haven't been on Tweet Talk. <laughs> oh man, I thought you'd been on here before. It's it's, it's kind of cool, man. Uh, it's a really cool intro. We had a we had a seller reach out to us, and he's like, "It feels I, saw, I found you guys on YouTube, and it seems like y'all on TV." Isn't it crazy? Yep. I forgot who I was talking to. Oh, when I was recording my podcast, and I was like, "Man, like back in the day, if you wanted to be on radio, you had to go beg the radio station. If you wanted to be on TV, you had to beg the TV station." Now we got all these tools in our hand, like build your brand, y'all. Yeah, you can build catch us brand. on CRM TV. I got my own channel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. Like, what's the difference? And nowadays, we all got our own channel, if you want. That's right. That's right. Welcome to Tweet Talk, the Batwell podcast. With your people, I am your host, Raphael, along with my co-host, Charles Oglesby III, JD, a.k.a. Todd Millionaire, moving to Todd Billionaire, actually. Here at Tweet Talk, we break down these financial tweets and Talk about building back wealth. And today we got a guest, our guy, Daniel Martinez of the Hive Man. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Is that choppy for you too, or just choppy for me, Daniel? No, uh, everything's good on my side. All right, maybe it was just me then. All right, all right, all right. I only asked because I was recording one of these a few days ago. And, uh, when I was adding all like the little scrolling things across the bottom, like I would freeze. And I was like, I don't want that to happen this time. So, yeah. Looks good. Sounds good on my end, brother. How you been, Charles? Been, been a minute since we recorded. I knew he was going to ask me that question. When's the last time we recorded, man? It has been a while. Probably three, four weeks. Yeah, it probably has. You know, it's funny because you sent me a message here like, oh, man, uh, what are we going to do now that it's football season? And I forgot, like, I'd just be, like, having a one-track mind. <clears throat> because back in the day, we were recording every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And so, you know, football kind of replaced that. And uh, we had to figure out a different time to make it happen, and we did. But it has been a while. I would just say that um, 
I mean, I think it hasn't been that long because last time we talked, we talked about Dallas. And I think Dallas was like two yep. weeks ago. So it hasn't been that long. Well, we, we did the Instagram live. That's what it was. Right, that wasn't recorded ago, yeah. on Instagram live. So I uh, just got back from Atlanta. And what was really cool about my Atlanta experience is <clears throat> this time I didn't get an Airbnb or a hotel. I stayed with my grandma. And uh, the reason why that's cool is because I effectively always have somewhere to stay. So I essentially have a second house. I have the house that I want. Like, I think sometimes when we think like, oh, I got a house like this is mine. And with my son, sometimes I'll say like, this is mine. This is mine. I'm like, no, it's ours. It's like, I want you to think that everything that we have is ours. It's not mine. It's not yours exclusively. It's ours. And so like what happens is like our family members will get something and it's like, well, this is my house. This is my house. It's like, how about it just be the family's house? And so like my grandma's getting up there in age and uh, where they live is so amazing to me because um, Atlanta's being gentrified and gentrification is a great thing when you own some stuff. And so my grandma lives in an area where not only are they improving the homes, but they're improving everything around it. And so when I was there, I was like, you know what? I want to go to the gym. And so I Googled a gym and there's a Planet Fitness right around the corner. It was brand new, brand new. When I had to leave to go to the airport, the airport was 12 miles away. I was like, you guys are in a prime area. Why would you sell this? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. She owns nothing. She owes nothing on the house. Why would you sell this? And so yeah. instead of thinking like their thought process is like, if like when that time does come, they're like, oh, we're selling that. We're selling that. And I was like, are you guys stupid? Or are you dumb? Because you know what frustrates me? What frustrates me is that people will want what you have. A lot of people in Atlanta, my family know what I have and they want that, but they don't want what I know. And not only do they not what I want, what I know, they don't want my opinion either. And so me giving you my opinion is me also giving you what I know, because my opinion is based off of what I know. And so if I'm giving you an opinion and you reject the opinion, you're also rejecting my knowledge. But for some reason, you want the money that came from the knowledge. It didn't just happen by accident. It happened because I'd be in the lab. I'm reading books like the book that I'm reading right now, which is extremely insightful. But they don't want to read the books. They don't want to do the podcast. They don't want to go to the conferences. They just want what you have. And so basically, this time in Atlanta felt more like home as opposed to just like I was a tourist. And I was just like there. It was like if I wanted to extend the trip, I could extend the trip. And so that was really cool. And when I was leaving, my grandma's like, you know, this is your second home. This is your second home. If whatever you want to come back. And so it makes getting to Atlanta easier. But what's so dope about being in Atlanta is I am so productive when I'm there. And so I landed on a Saturday or Sunday morning. The game was Sunday morning. So I landed at one o'clock in the morning, got situated around like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, went to sleep, woke up, went to the football game. After the football game, I was going to go see my family, but uh, they were occupied with some other things, my other family, my uncle and his kids. So I woke up that next day and I went to go look for the barbershop truck. So I went, actually went out there, talked to the people and uh, kind of found out that it's not there. And I was kind of going back and forth with that. But I realized like it's so difficult to like a lot of the reasons why certain things fall through is because I'm not there. And so then I called the other trucking company and I didn't even find out that the people who are working on the truck, their location was 20 miles away. 
I was like, why would we take 20 miles away when there's probably something around the corner that could work on this truck? So uh, tracking that down and then ended up getting back um, that day. And once I left looking for the truck, I shot back and recorded five podcast episodes back to back to back to back to back. It was a marathon of a day, but I know Man. I'm getting high quality content. I'm getting TV channel level content, high quality video, high quality audio. And I was thinking, I was like, I'm chopping this up into so many different clips. I was like, we always talk about chopping it up into Instagram clips, but like, no, I'm taking episodes. I'm turning them into micro episodes. So now you're going to see my 10 minute segments on there. So every podcast is going to be broken up into segments. And so now I can take those five interviews and conversations and turn it into 20 pieces of YouTube content, if not more. Yeah. And so like that's the productivity that comes with being in Atlanta. It's like I can just crush it while I'm there. So now I'm decreasing the cost that it, it requires me to be there, but I'm also increasing my productivity, increasing my connections, increasing my access. And so that's the next level of businesses at length. One thing I really want to hit on is I think I think a lot of people they they want rich man's money, but the true the true people out there that understand what they the wealth they have is the information. I think a lot of people chase the wrong thing. So if you chase the information versus the money, the money will come. Hmm. On that note, Daniel, <laughs> let the people know who you are and tell us about HiveMind. So uh, I am Daniel Martinez. I am a, here's my 30 second spiel. Uh, I used to be a truck driver. Um, used to load trucks with a forklift, became a truck driver in Atlanta. So I know Atlanta pretty well. And uh Became get got into real estate after that, and then now I do software, real estate, data, a little bit of everything, PPC leads, a lot of online businesses because I've heard the, I heard the value of replication and scalability. So I'm not in the physical products business; I'm in the digital products business. That's what I do. That's cool. I think you may be the first uh, owner of a SaaS company. Would you consider that? Is SaaS company? Yeah, so for those who don't know what SaaS is, I'm not talking about, you know, something that talks back to you. S-A-A-S, Software as a Service. Software as a Service. Yep. Tell the folks what a little bit about what HiveMind can do for them. So um, I, I, I love I love HiveMind because a lot of things that I struggled with when I started getting into business and real estate was my pain points of, of, of a CRM. So HiveMind is a CRM and it has emailing, texting, web hosting. Just a new a new feature that just came out was a course app ability. So you can you can get on people's phones directly with your own white label app and connect with your audience directly. So um, we're building more courses and releasing that through that platform to hopefully get connect directly to people's phones where they see us top of mind, right, right in their home screen. And that's that's the ability of um, being getting in front of people in different ways. Because a lot of people like like a lot of people like communicating in certain ways. Like me, if you call me, I'm not answering my phone. It just doesn't even ring because <laughs> that's the life I live now. But if you contact people through email or text, you're going to reach me better that way. So for everybody trying to call me, I'm just not going to answer the phone. I don't care. Who you are. <laughs> so whenever you're doing whatever business you're in, you always have to do multiple forms of marketing to connect with potential whatever business you're looking for. And convert that business into money, which is what I do. Where we've had 15 clients at six-figure months, and we haven't even hit two years yet. And all those clients have not been with us two years. So we'll create our. We have like two or three millionaires probably coming up at the same time. 
um, of our software. So we're excited about that and hopefully making a change in the community and driving good business and good business practices and helping make making a difference, I think is a big thing. That's cool, man. That's cool. How long you, how long has HiveMind been around? We launched February 2021 during the pandemic. It hasn't even been two years yet. Um, we're we're we'll hit a we'll hit by the end of the year we'll hit like a million in revenue. So end of the year. That's like a month and a half. Okay. Yeah. We're right now we're like eight sixty in gross revenue since we started February. So it's been a interesting journey. And then uh, we're doing real estate as well. So it's just leveraging that side of it and educating people on the basics of real estate and helping them do bigger deals. Cause that's what, that's our niche is. So we're doing million dollar land deals. So we're helping people do that as well with our million dollar mastermind. And it's just helping educate people and doing, doing a lot of good things in the community. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Got to get some SAS, Charles. Got to get some SAS. The, the SAS business, you're muted, Charles. You're muted, Charles. The, the SAS business. I was going to ask how I can get in. How can I get into the software as a service business? Um, the technology has changed so much. So, so much. I think it's uh, just keeping listening to what's what where needs are being um, fulfilled at. Um, well, the craziest thing about HiveMind is we're not the, I'm not the creator of it. It's just a third-party platform that I'm leveraging and built on my own features on top of it. So there's other there's other products and services that you can essentially jump in as a SaaS. I think there's even like um, there's there's a guy that he worked for Microsoft, and I don't know his name. I'm sure you can Google him. He literally worked for Microsoft for years, and then eventually started creating Chrome extensions. And he's literally a one-man business selling Chrome extensions at 99 cents, and he's worth millions of dollars just generating revenue off of creating Chrome extensions. Or him working for the job for Microsoft, who knows what they paid him, but now he's leveraging that uh, the just the coding and creating that replicatable product that you can sell to the masses. Uh, even even down to the fact where like I read I read an article yesterday that there's a girl on TikTok who blows up who blew up recently. That she's doing six figures a day just off of uh, Excel and Google Sheet education and like mm. micro courses. So there's a lot of opportunity out there in the technology space that people are looking for more information, more knowledge. They're looking for um, stuff they can use to map master whether it's coding or Python or stuff like that. They're they're looking to master whatever the technology space is. And I think with like Web three and crypto, there's a lot of opportunity in that space especially with like replication and online, which is like a huge thing that wasn't even around 30 years ago that has opened up for our generation to really leverage this technology. Yeah, that, man. I don't know if you answer my question. <laughs> to understand the answer because that was very no, no, complicated. I did answer your question. It's finding, it's, it's listening to where people struggle at that you can produce or, um, or release some type of uh, software, which I talk about the Microsoft person. He, he does Chrome extensions. That software as a service. He, he writes software Chrome extensions, and has, he monetizes it. So, like, it's the lay person who doesn't have the ability to write code. I, I told you about that, too. I don't write code. 
I found a third-party right. software that offers SaaS as a service, and I throw in my other product services on top of it, and I wrote it my own. That's how you get into SaaS. You got you got to be in the te- technology space where people are building and creating these things, like uh, the platform I'm on. Yeah, I was gonna how, say, how did you find? I found it on accident because I was struggling with my own real estate business with the CRM, and uh, somebody did a, they did a presentation for us, and like, okay, I'm diving down this road because. Um, I know the struggle and pain that I had when I needed it. So I know I can offer that to even hundreds of thousands of people. I know I can help facilitate that same issue that I had. So that was my, it was finding a pain point. And I had the same pain point when I saw it. I'm like, okay, this is it. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not a coder or nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy, but that's because I grew up in the nineties. Those that transition <laughs> were, and this is no offense to, because I know I know uh, Charles is a little bit older than me, and I don't know how old you are than Charles, <laughs> Raphael. But there's a us people, uh, Gen millennials, they have the advantage where we grew up when everything transitioned. Like I remember people when people in high uh, when I went to high school, they barely started getting phones, and my wife was two years younger. I'd be like everybody had a phone, so like my family was a little bit poorer, and they're like. Hey, if you need a cell phone, just ask the person next to you. And it was always a joke my, my parents used to tell me. Like, everybody had a phone around me, but I never had a phone until I turned 18. So like, I saw the transition from typewriters doing reports in school with typewriters to computers and printing it out. So like, I, I, saw, I, was, I saw that transition happen. So we have a little leverage. And I think even younger people than me, they have that leverage too because they grew up around iPads and tablets and um, iPhones and all, all this stuff that, that technology – where now like kids in China are coding. They have the leverage of, of all that experience and learning at a young age that they can really harness and find different opportunities out there. Hmm. For the record, Raphael is my father. <laughs> Double my age, man. Hey, check out this shirt, Raphael. I got this from the real Black Wall Street. Like, isn't that fire? I see it. I see it. It's nice. I can't with this guy. I can't. Yeah, I got this from the real Black Wall Street. You can't be about Black Wall if you've never been to Black Wall Street. So, um, when did, when did you get that? I got this when I went down there for I think. Oh, uh, oh that was a while back, right? I went there for Henry's event, and uh, I had the opportunity to either fly into Fayetteville or fly into Tulsa and drive into Fayetteville. And quite honestly, it was about an hour drive to to, to drive into Arkansas. Um, but I was like, you know what? If I fly into Tulsa, I can see Black Wall Street. And so when I was out there, I went and saw Black Wall Street, but I also saw the first Walmart. So both, you know, what's interesting is like, I'm a fan of business. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Black Wall Street and see the first Walmart, both business. I'm yeah. not over here like black, black, blackity, black, black. I'm just like wealth, wealth, wealth. So if they had a, a, a Walmart shirt out, I bought that too. They had a store, but it was closed out <laughs> <I was> there. <clears throat> yeah, I remember you, uh, you, Took a picture about a plaque or something, right? Well, I took a picture in front of the plaque at Black Wall Street, and I took a picture in front of the store at Walmart. Right, right, right. Walmart, that guy built something. And I saw you. Uh, you saw a post. You um, posted an excerpt from a, a new book you found buying Disney's World. I oh, I was gonna say I was like I was trying to keep that on the low low, but yeah, I just shared that with Dan because I think Dan would get a lot of value out of it. Um, I'm about, I'm on chapter four right now. And interestingly enough, I saw it posted by John Delia and John Delia is a boss. And then I saw John reference 
um, Tyron McDaniel, who he said referred him to it. And I mm-hmm. think I might have seen um, maybe the Monopoly Bros shared it. And so, um, yeah, it just talks about how he acquired all the land for uh, Disney World. But it also kind of talks about his whole path of how he opened up Disneyland. And then he saw how Disneyland turned into like this great area. But the area around it is very ghetto. And if you've ever been to Disneyland, like it's very, it's not that lit. Like liquor stores, motels. Like there is some nice stuff around there, but there's also some ghetto around there. And I think it's improved over time. But like when it first opened up, it wasn't that like, that great. And so he was like, you know what? This next time, I don't want that to happen. He said, I don't just want the land for the 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 park. I want the land around it. And so I just think it's cool to see how his business and his mind evolved. And I've already taken some gems from there. He was talking about how um, the only way to really understand if like, I want to get the direct quote, but essentially he was saying like the only way to understand if like your idea is lucrative is to take it to market. Yeah. And so he said, um, there's really only one way to find out how he would fare. He had to jump into the marketplace and see what happened. Right. And so he was always taking risks and he wasn't always rich. And so they talk about how, like when he was building his business, he was scraping by, he was, um, like spending more money than he had to invest into his projects. And then certain things started to take off and they had some success in other areas and that funded other things that they were doing. And then also just like the whole Mickey Mouse concept. Like I watched a documentary Walt Disney a while back and they kind of said like he had tried to acquire another character before that. I don't know what the character was, but he tried to acquire another character and I guess it didn't work out or maybe he even launched it and it didn't work out, but then he like stumbled upon Mickey Mouse. And so a lot of this is luck y'all. Like as crazy as it sounds, like a lot of it is luck, but you got to give yourself a lot of opportunities to get lucky. You can't do that if you're not putting a lot of things out there. And so even with me taking my my podcast and breaking them down into five different clips per episode, I'm like, you know what? One of these is going to go viral and that virality is going to blow this channel up. So I'm going to give myself 20 opportunities to go viral instead of just one per episode. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens. Also, shout out to you guys who are subscribing to the channel. We got 4,700 subscribers and we're really close to 5,000. I remember when we were at 3.9 and we we're scratching to get to four. Another thing that happens is as you grow, your growth accelerates. And yeah. so it's a lot easier. It's a lot more difficult to get that first thousand subscribers than it is to go from four to five or to go from five to six or from five to 10. And so once we grow, we're going to continue to accelerate that growth. But yeah, amazing book. And, you know, once it gets fall and it starts getting dark, I start reading more. And I'm, I'm trying to binge because I know during the summer I don't really read that much. And I need to get my knowledge up so I can get my advantage. My knowledge is my advantage. The books that I read give me that knowledge. And I've been kind of feeling like I was at a disadvantage for a little bit because people were starting to read the books that I've read. And I was like, I need to get back <laughs> in the lab. <laughs> well, wait, let me ask you real quick. You said when he did the Disneyland originally, the area around it never like uh, jumped off. Why do you like based on what he's talked about in the book or your own personal opinions? Where do you think that is? Um. I think it's because, well, part of it is people knew that he had something, but I don't think people had the same attitude of excellence that he had. They just wanted to make some money. And so mm-hmm. I think this happens with a lot of things, probably happens with options courses, is you launch this options course and then everybody else is like, well, shoot, I got an options course. I got an options course. I got an options course. And they just start gathering around and kind of pop, uh, like polluting the community. 
And so one thing that Dan has done is he's held his idea close to the chest. He won't tell you how to do what he did. And he's supposed to do that. I think sometimes as black people, we'd be too giving and too sharing. And by sharing so much, we lose. Anybody else would be like, yeah, all you got to do is go here, here, here. And next thing you know, you got 50 hive minds out there. And now hive mind ain't hive minded. And so I was on a I was on a uh, a clubhouse call today and it was people were talking about black issues. And I looked in the crowd and I saw Grant Cardone there. And I was like, it's kind of weird that we're like talking about all the things that black people like the stuff that we would like have like all oh, black people can't work together and black people can't do this. And it's just like we're having this conversation on a public platform in front of everybody instead of taking those issues in house and discussing them kind of like the Kanye Kyrie thing. Kanye maybe has some valid points. Maybe you don't got to share them all over the fucking internet like that. Just, yeah. a, a, just maybe you don't put your shit on Twitter. Maybe you just like share it amongst your people on the low so they can learn the information, which is what you want, but you don't put a target on your back. And so I would say like, that's kind of what happened. And, and honestly, that's why when Disney bought up Disney world, they went on the low. They did yeah. a lot of things. Which people did not know why. Cause if they knew they were going to hike up the prices and it would make less money or they'll be gouged. And so you got to do stuff on the low. You got to, you got to real G's move in silence. Real wealth builders move in silence. Like if you really like, that's where I'm at now. That's why I kind of didn't want to share the excerpt from that book. Um, and I'm kind of mad I did that, but <laughs> very important to be silent. And so, I think once you, once you get there, you're less inclined to want to share as much. Like, I don't really tell a lot of people certain things. Um, other people tell people things about me. Um, but now I got to make sure that I don't tell even the people who might potentially tell people. Just got to keep everything on the low. So a lot of, uh, I don't mind, I don't mind sharing. Like I, I tell people that it's a third party platform or stuff like that, but it's people won't take action. I mean, there could be a thousand people that listen to this call and only 10 to 20 will actually like, Oh, what is he talking about? Let me dig a little bit deeper. And other people are just, they don't care to look to do the diligence. So sometimes like for me, like I, there's some things I still keep to myself and it's knowledge that I've learned over time, but a lot of it, like I freely give because it's really out there in general. And me saying it might stick into somebody's head that one time. And like, so there's a lot of things like I say this a lot is that, um, some things you're not ready to hear at that time. And it just goes over your head. You don't have the understanding to, to comprehend what was just what you just heard. But you might come back to that same conversation or you might hear it in a different way a year later. And you're like, okay, I heard that somewhere else on, on that podcast and it, it makes sense now. And that's where like um, understanding comes in when you hear it a couple times. Yeah. No, Danny, you're a part of the talk capital mastermind yes yes i am now. i know you 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 one thing i tell everybody is like daniel <laughs> you don't have to worry about daniel taking action like say something and daniel's doing it before he gets off the call almost like forget it um charles you had a tweet where you were saying y'all be hearing information and waiting for it to make sense the fact that they are successful in saying it makes sense Boy, Daniel's a believer. <laughs> um, that's that's very true, and I think that's why like people will hear somebody successful say something and they'll reject it because it doesn't make sense to them. But it's not going to make sense to them if they're still on the ground. If I'm telling you that there's clouds up here and what the, mm. the top of the clouds look like, and you're on the ground, 
you're gonna be like, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. But you ain't in the in the, in the plane to even have that opinion that the clouds don't look like that. Like it's frustrating to me because like I'm in the business of homes and I still got to debate with people who bought one home in their life, two homes in their life. Yep. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so I think that tweet was in reference to LaRussell and the pay what you want model. And I'm not sure if I got pushback from that, but I think that what I was trying to explain to people is you might not, it might be a completely foreign concept, paying what you want. But all you got to do is look at what is achieved using that strategy to know that it's a solid strategy. You don't have to understand it. And it's something that I've said before, even with following what Chris does. Like, you don't have to understand what Chris is doing, and you won't understand what Chris is doing until you're doing what Chris is doing. And that's why Dan is ahead and why Dan doesn't have a college education, but you would think he does. Why? Because he takes action. When you take action, you learn. And you learn at a lot deeper level than somebody who just reads books. You learn at a lot deeper level than somebody who just like is is passive and it's just waiting because the action is going to refine you it's going to grow you and it's going to make you better and so much so that he's actually further advanced than a lot of people through using vas and automating certain things and the different things that they have hive mind do and so you don't understand what people are saying until you do what they're doing and stop expecting to understand before you take action just take action and then you're going to get that understanding 100 percent hundred percent. A lot, a lot of the, and a lot of things that I, I've done, I'm just like following blindly. I mean, you know, you know, I'm not a reader. <laughs> I joined the Todd Capital book club just to hear the gems, <laughs> 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 you know? And like, I, I, I love, I love hopping in those conversations because like every, every good book has a lot of like gems in there, but you can summarize like the synopsis of the book into a good paragraph and somebody that really delve into the book is gonna tell you that so i'm like i read the book already well that's that's a uh that's a life hack i never heard before join the book club and get the highlights from the people that actually read the book that's a good one that's why i love bruce (laughs) (laughs) besides that like what kind of value have you gotten out of the um the, the the mastermind and also what Give us an example of something that didn't necessarily make sense to you that you didn't understand at first, but you implemented it anyway and it paid off. Um, a lot. So podcasting was a big one. Um, I knew we needed to do it, but I really didn't understand why. And Charles just like podcast, go create content, 10x. All, and just and so we, those, those two things, go create it and 10x it. I'm like, all right, create it and 10x it. We launched it September. We're 260 episodes in. <laughs> Last September 20. They've 10x, 10x. They said they're dropping an episode a day. We're dropping an episode a day right now. You know yeah. how big you, you grow when you do something every single day? Like, that's the hack. Do it every single day. Exercise yeah. every single day. Read every single day. Promote your business every single day. Every single day. A lot of people, like, when I first started starting on, I started, like, asking for the sale every day. But now I'm, like, there's some posting every day. I'm asking for the sale. I don't even care. It's part of my – we had a, we had a challenge probably about a year ago, make 10 posts a day. Now we got 10 posts a day, four reels a day, and it's a lot – there's a lot going on. And it's just building that footprint. 
if anybody here wants to see what HiveMind is doing, literally Google HiveMind or go to your favorite social media platform and start to search HiveMind CRM. I guarantee you're going to find something there because I put it there on purpose. It was there intently. And um, me and Anthony caught talking like putting out a wave of content. Like there's so much HiveMind content out there that when you find me, I hope you're amazed because there's a lot of hard work that went into that. Like uh, we're talking to somebody and like, oh, you need to get like a social media manager and editor and start editing all your episodes and getting micro content. I'm like, man, I've been doing that for like eight months already. I've had full time. I've had two full time editors, a social media manager. Like I don't do all that content that you see. If you go to Twitter, Daniel Hivemind right here. I don't do that content. That's that's my team doing that. So it's a it's a constant uh, like. And this is where I learned from Charles. Just be out there 100%. Who cares? I don't care what anybody's opinions say. I have my family like, hey, you post too much. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not my, you're not my client. <laughs> it's like just tell them like a million dollars in revenue. Yeah. A million dollars in revenue. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it's, it's just doing, doing it over and over again, not even asking questions, just do it out. So like 10 up, he, he, uh, they made the, th- the, the, the contest I'm posting 10 times a day. I've been doing 10 times a day for a year now. Like, oh, do a reel a day. Well, now I got I got a database of probably 250 reels that go out three a day, four a day. I just recycle and rinse and repeat, recycle, rinse, repeat. Some stuff hits, some stuff doesn't. I don't even care. I, I just know, and I hashtag everything. If you go to hashtag HiveMindCRM, there's probably like 4,000, 5,000 posts. And that's all me. Mm. <laughs> and, and I, mm. I would say that what's important is a lot of us are in catch up mode, but we don't have catch up urgency. And so we'll always talk about like, oh, we're so far behind, but you're not moving like that. Yeah. I, I don't see it. You, you, you chilling. You don't like if you're in a race and you're behind, would you just be jogging? No, you're going to be sprinting. You're going to be a hustler. You'll be trying to do whatever you got to do to get ahead. And so there's some people who see the wealth gap or whatever gap and they point at it and then like wealth gap. Wealth gap. I guess we're gonna vote. And then there's other people who they see the wealth gap and they're like, I just gotta work 10 times harder to close the gap. But you can work 10 times harder. It's possible to do it. It's possible, and it's an admirable thing to actually endeavor in. Like people respect people who work. They don't respect people who just talk and who come on the internet and complain and argue. We respect the workers. Another so, thing that I noticed in the hold on, one, one, one thing I want to say is another thing that I noticed in the Disney book is he had failed ventures. Um, he had, they opened up like a bowling alley and it flopped. And this is after they opened up Disneyland. They were trying to find something else that could pop hard. And so they're like, all right, well, bowling's hot right now. Let's open up a bowling alley. The bowling alley flopped, they ended up selling it. And what I realized is people don't remember your failed ventures, but they do remember your successes. And your successes are going to make you. And it's okay to have failed ventures along with your successes. And so I just thought that was really interesting because he was already successful, creating movies, and he still had a flop. He still failed at something and lost money in it. But a lot of people, they they get so caught up in like the potentiality of failure that they never try anything. They just never do it. They're like, I don't want it to fail. But like, what if that fit? What if even he even learned something from his successes? He learned that his success, he didn't improve enough. Like that is fire to me. Um, one thing, one thing I'll say too, is that I think a lot of uh, early entrepreneurs, they think of it as their, 
they think of it as a business. They think of it as an employee and not as a business because they think if I work 40 hours, I should get 40 hours of pay. And in entrepreneurship, it's not like that. You have to do weeks, hours upon hours and days upon days without getting paid and just hope you get paid. And a lot of people, and it's a, it's a trend. You have to like think of it as a long, as a long-term play. So when, if you're, if you're in a, a solopreneur or uh, if you're an employee that wants to venture into entrepreneurship, when you work 40 hours, you're not going to make whatever your rate per hour is once you turn into entrepreneurship. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work like that. You have to work maybe weeks, years, years and years, get paid nothing, reinvest all your capital, reinvest your capital, reinvest your capital, reinvest your capital, just to build that business to where there comes to a point where you grow that business so big where you get paid for all that time you worked previously without getting paid. And it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs into a giant wealth thing that you created. But you had to you had to like flip your mindset on that. That if I work forty hours, I'm not going to make forty hours of pay right now. I'm going to get two hundred hours of pay five years from now, and I have to realize that my, my pockets ain't just caught up yet. So you got to put in that work early on, over and over again, till that till that pays off. And a lot of people aren't willing to put in the work. Hmm. Now. You said, uh, Charles, that you shared a clip. I'm not sure where it's from, but you said said something about we struggle and then teach our children to to struggle. Um, Man, one of the best podcasts out right now that I really listen to a lot is the Secret to Success podcast with Eric Thomas. It used to be very terrible, terrible. And now it's (laughs) high quality content. Uh, The episodes are shorter and more to the point. Before, they would just ramble about stuff that really wasn't motivational, wasn't actually helpful. And they would just talk about like stupid stuff. Like I was on the plane and they didn't give me peanuts, fair or foul. It's like, and they would talk about it for like 20 minutes. And I was like, I'm not listening to this stuff. Or I would like scroll past all that nonsense. But now they cut out the nonsense. I think they took some feedback and they're like, bro, they don't want to hear that stuff. And um, Jamal was on there and Jamal is a very successful real estate investor. What was funny is he, he made a point that like when he was working as a cop, and he was making money as a real estate investor. He bought like this huge house. And he said that like people thought he was like the cop from training day. Like they thought he was like <laughs> taking money from folks, which is interesting because sometimes when like you get money, people assume the worst. Like they assume like, oh, you must be selling drugs. Like, man, I fly so much. My bags get checked so much. I'm like, this is crazy. I was like, why would somebody be like trying to like smuggle drugs to the airport? People do that stuff. I don't know. But um, so he was talking about how as a culture, what happens is people, they do everything for themselves. And so they work that job, they get that promotion so that they can get that house and they struggle throughout the whole process. And then what happens is they have kids and they teach them that same process to work hard, to struggle and to start from the ground up and to do that kind of stuff. And he was saying like with him, and what he's building is he's building something that his kids can walk into. He always says that he's going to take better care of his family when he's in the grave than people do when they're alive because he's setting it up that way. Mm. And so another thing um, is he's always talking about like providing for like his grandkids and for the kids that he won't ever see. He's like, I want to provide for the family that I never see. And so that was just kind of the thing that I took from that. But it was just somebody else saying what I've been saying for the longest time. 
is we don't have to make our kids struggle. Uh, my son's not going to struggle. He already has assets. My son is good. He got a house and he got five figures in the in a stock market account. Some of those stocks aren't doing that well, specifically Disney. Disney's doing terrible. And we're talking about Disney so much on this show, but Disney dropped like 7% today. It was like their worst years, their worst one day loss in like a decade or something, something pretty significant. But they're going to bounce back because it's a quality company and it's just going to take time. I think their their business is still feeling the brunt of COVID. Um, and I think that once they get past that, they'll start to kind of take off and get some more movies into theaters and things like that. But um, it, was just, it was important to me because he said that. But another thing that he said that either you're going to bring up or you didn't bring up is he was talking about how he didn't do all of these things and get this huge house so that his wife could clean it. I should have wore my shirt. I actually have that shirt. It's downstairs somewhere. Um, I was just in my mom's house and we were cleaning out some of the clothes that I left there. She's like, oh, you might do an event with Hodman. You'll need this shirt. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> it's downstairs. Um, but he was just talking about how like he didn't do all these things so his wife could like clean the house so she could cook and she could do all these different things that people think traditional women need to do. And it was funny because I was having a conversation with somebody and I told them, I was like, my wife doesn't work, but I have a housekeeper. And they're like, well, why, why do you have a housekeeper if, you're, if your wife doesn't work? And I was like, because I don't want my wife to be a housekeeper. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at partnerwithmilly, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. I want my wife to be a successful business owner. I want my wife to do amazing things. And it's just interesting the society that we live in because we're constantly having this debate online of if your, if your wife should work or not work, and if it's her responsibility to cook and clean and do all these things like that. And I just never saw that as like a wife responsibility. Um, as crazy as that sounds. And a lot of people say, well, well, that's what my mom did. Well, that's not what my mom did. And so if we're just <laughs> going to use our family as a the foundation, then, you know, we can't, we can go sit for tat on that. I think what we need to do is we need to look at the environment as it exists now and come up with a plan for us to win together. And I don't think we're doing that. I think we're just coming up with a plan to take advantage of one another to, get the most for the least and we expect that to be lucrative and i don't think it worked actually i know it doesn't work because if it did work folks would be married and happy but they're not they on the internet arguing with each other so that's that so i'm really glad you shared that because i showed it to my wife too because i know i know our wives for the blunt of, of housekeeping and taking care of the kids and all that stuff and i i when you shared that video i'm like this is i want this for you Mm, that's cool. Well, let, let me ask you, um, then back to the original tweet about we struggle and then teach our children to to struggle. Like, how how are you like trying to break that cycle? Because you say you struggled when you were growing up too. Like you were poor. Um, have you really given any thought to it, like intentionally, or 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 not? Are you talking to me? The Daniel, but um, I know you got kids. So a, a lot of, and this is where I, I, I talk about this all the time. Like 
my, my, I'm a second generation immigrant. My dad crossed the border to Mexico. And uh, my dad taught me when I was younger, he's like, work with your head versus your back because you're, you're, you can only do, you can only work so long with your back. And my dad was testament to that because he really didn't know any other way to, how to make money. Like he, he has like a second grade education. Like my dad didn't know how to read English till my brothers went to school. Like he didn't know how to write. He didn't know how to write in English at all. So it was one of those things where like, you have to take the, take the, the privilege, even if it was a struggle privilege, you take that privilege and you build upon it because a lot of people like some, like people, people grew up with two families in the household. They're single moms. Like you, you either, you either take that internally and say, boohoo me, boohoo me and my family, or you take that as a, as gasoline and you pour it on and like, I'm gonna make a better future for my family. So it, it goes one or the other way. Like uh, I think Anthony talked about this too. Is like you either have, either have excuses or uh, I forget his quote, man. It was such a it was such a good one. I was like, uh, either you succeed or you have excuses. You can't have both. Mm. And I think that was the quote. So there, there's a lot of leverage you get by everybody has their story. Like every everybody has struggled at some point. You either harness that and build a better future for your family, or you don't. Right, right, right. Now you 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 touched on it a, a little a little while ago, Charles, and you talk about this all the time. But you had a tweet where you said. Build one successful company together, and then once you are all rich, branch off and do your own thing. Yeah, I was um, referring to the PayPal mafia, and I saw this diagram of like the PayPal mafia and what they all own now. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could find it because a lot of the things that they own now are things that people really know about. And I think what's interesting is it's. I think for some reason, everybody wants to be selfish and hoard all the money to themselves. And so they're like, I'm the billionaire. And they, and, and I think it's because what we see is like an individual billionaire. We see like one billionaire, Jay-Z, one billionaire, Kanye West, one billionaire, LeBron James. And we don't realize that there's people out there building companies and everybody becoming a billionaire. He's a billionaire just because he's a CFO or something. He's a billionaire just because he's a founding partner, not the founder, the founding partner or an early employee who got equity in the company. And they're very wealthy. And so what's interesting is it's possible to build one project and everybody become rich. And we take the employee mindset into everything because that's all we've ever known. All we've ever known was my, 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 mine. And that's why the word mine probably ain't going to be used in my household very much. Everything is ours, everything, because we're building this together. We're doing this together. And I was talking to somebody and it was actually on the mastermind call this morning. And we were talking about how Jay-Z said that, why do Jews have all the money in America? And he said credit. And I think he said credit because he didn't want to get really hated on by the Jewish community. But the real reason why they have all the money in America is because they work together. They work as a union. They work as a family. And I always tell about the last two businesses that I worked for were both family businesses. Actually, the last three companies that I worked for were family businesses, and one of them was Black. And maybe that's the reason why they were effing successful is because they worked as a family and as a unit, too, where the dad worked there, the mom worked there, the kids worked there. It's not just a white or Black thing. These are principles that translate whatever you look like. Working together makes you succeed. And then once you're successful, you can branch off and do your own thing. But get successful first. Get rich first. Like, get rich before you try to be an individual. 
we're either being individuals and wonder why we're struggling. Like, hmm. yeah, and Danny, you you don't run uh, Hive Mind all by yourself. You had a, a co-founder. I mean, was Anthony a part of it as soon as you started, or did he come on a little later? No, he's always been at the start of it because um, there's two different sides of the business. There's a software side of the back of the back end side of actually d- doing the the outreach, and then you have the sales side that actually converts to sales. So it's leveraging 100% of it. Uh, one thing I want to say about Charles's thing is that I watched a, a documentary about Kevin Hart a while back, and he has all of his friends that work with him, even like his best friend, like is like his workout trainer. So he's on payroll to have him keep him healthy, keep him healthy, and keep him in the gym. So he goes to the gym at the same time every day where he has his friend on payroll. Um, one of the big things that I'm doing with my, my – I'm getting to a point right now where we're hiring and I'm looking to hire it on my family. And that's a big thing right now. It's just to build up that unit hundred percent because the, um, your, your family wants to see you succeed for the most part. And you only need one business to succeed. So if one, if one family member, and this is something, I don't know if my brothers will ever hear this episode, but like when COVID hit two of my brothers were up for, if you don't get a shot, you might get laid off. And me in my head, I'm like, okay, I have to create positions for them to keep get them on payroll now because I have I have the opportunity to and I have a business to create wealth. And in my head, I'm like, okay, where can where can I position them? And like right now, I had a conversation with my brother where he's like, I'm ready to quit. And I'm like, okay, well, g- give me some time and I'll, I'll find you a position to help out in the family business because that's what it is. But the crazy part about it is when you do that, I think your business will grow. Oh, 100%. So it's not even an L. It's not even like charity. It's really like, I don't know. There, there's a, um, there's a, there's like um, people that live together for such a long time. They, they're in sync in their patterns. Like they do the same things. They talk the same. They have the, they have the same accent. Like you, you, when you, when you live together for so long, you, you harmonize. Mm-hmm. And I, I would and, say what's interesting also is that like, your brother has way more value than you can pay him in salary. Mm-hmm. And it's like, would you rather that value go to somebody else's business or to your family business? It's kind of like I, when I went to Atlanta, when I stayed with my grandma, I paid her to stay there. Um, I was like, I'm going to give you this money because I'd rather give you this money than give Airbnb the money or the hotel the money. The money got to get spent either way. And then you can use this money to either make your life more comfortable or you can use it to pay down your mortgage. And if I go there and I stay there every year of the month and I'm making a payment on her mortgage, I'm going to help her get that down. But I'm also increase. I'm also creating value for our family. Like there's no loss when you do it this way. And so the, like I share that because the same principle of bringing your family's labor into your business is just like why, what happens when you pay rent to a, a landlord, you can either pay rent to your family or avoid paying rent to somebody else's family. You can either make your family wealthier or you can make somebody else's family wealthier. By you going and working for somebody else's business, you might think that you're winning in the short term and it might feel great because you don't work for your brother, but you're just making somebody else richer. That's why they do it. The Chinese people don't work for other people. They don't hire other people either because if they are paying somebody a wage, they rather pay it to somebody who is in their culture. And so it's like, you also want to kind of look at that too when you're hiring people. It's like, are you making an investment back into your culture or, or are you using the money from your business to build up somebody else's culture? So that's it's very interesting. But I never made the correlation, the connection between like working at a business for your family 
and renting, but I think there's a connection there. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, way to like, you're already, like you said, it's a, it's a way you're already, you're going to spend that money because you need to fill that position no matter what. So if you're going to spend that money, spend it to where it's going to benefit your family versus another person. And I think it, it, there's a, I met an entrepreneur, he was already well off and he started a restaurant business for the whole purpose of employing his sister just to pass off that, that tax burden. Like he was losing money starting a restaurant, but it was passing off that tax burden and, and supporting a whole nother group of people, including his sister in that business. And there's a whole lot of benefit to that just in general. You as the as the entrepreneur, you get the tax tax write-offs and then you know you're actually feeding your family directly by supporting them through a job and something that they love doing. Because here's the thing, not everybody is that 1% entrepreneur, that leader that's going to take the business to the next level. Not everybody's like that. You always There's always need and... Uh, space for a supporting role and it's not even a bad thing right it's like charles said a long time ago on one of the older episodes that your job will save you your business will save the community mm-hmm. and going back to um we were talking about the paypal mafia and like people getting rich being sometimes even an early employee obvious examples is like Paul Allen with Microsoft. There were employees of Microsoft that got really rich just being early employees. Paul Allen, to this day, people, most people still don't know who Paul Allen is. This dude is so rich, he bought like three sports teams. And he wasn't Bill Gates. We, right. We're like, man, F being Paul Allen, I'm going to be Bill Gates. And we'll be neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, and that, you being Bill Gates, you got to deal with the stress that Bill Gates got to deal with. He might, it might right. be better off being number two. <laughs> Everybody knows who Bill Gates is, even though he he dresses low key and everything. Pretty much, he's the one that ended up on the magazine covers or whatever certain magazines. But the current CEO of Google is a billionaire, but he didn't found Google. He worked his way up the ranks. He was just like a high level of executive. And this is what's interesting about being surrounded by wealth is. If your kids go to a school where there's like wealthy kids or well-to-do kids, you're going to realize everybody ain't the CEO. It's like this dude's the vice president of this. This dude's the C- the CFO of this. This dude is the, the, the treasurer here. And you start to realize that like you can get money all kind of ways. You don't got to be the guy at the top. And so when somebody gives you the opportunity to participate in something, you value the opportunity of just being a part of something that's building as opposed to thinking you have to be the sole and only builder and the head NIC. Yep. We, we feel like that's the only way that you can do it is by being that generational talent, that generational something. No, just become useful to something that's useful. Become yep. a part of something. And I was in, when I was in Atlanta and I had to stop because I was in Atlanta and I drove past a school called uh, the greater Atlanta Christian school and tuition there is $26,000 a year. $26,000 a year. But do you think that everybody there is a CEO? No, they probably own their own independent business, their own small business. We aren't exposed to wealth, so we don't know that wealth comes in various ways, not just the most obvious ways that we see. And it's frustrating because then when you try to get people to be a part of it, they're like, I'm, I'm telling you, I, every single person that is doing options, I told them I'd partner with them. And they're like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. And I was like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. We all want to be the boss. I don't want to 
the boss sucks. I was getting yelled at for things I wasn't even involved with. I was getting people calling me names for things that people who were doing who were just a part of the organization. They're like, oh, you didn't know that he was on a group chat call and he called us the B word. Oh, man, I'm going over here on a, a conference call apologizing to people that I don't even know just because they're affiliated with what we were doing. And that's what happens when you're the boss. I don't, I, honestly, I like being a number two guy. I told my wife, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start dedicating parts of my day to helping you build your business, marketing and promoting your business. I don't need to be the person at the top. I just want to be associated. And I've always been that person. I only step into the top role when it needs to be done. Yeah. This is Raphael's podcast. I'm number two. I'm Scotty Pippen around here. And I still <laughs> show up like I'm like, I still show up like it's my shit. I don't half step it. I don't like, oh, I can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. No, I show up and I give value and it's not my shit. And we need more people who take on that mentality. Being a part of something great makes you great. You don't have to be the person who built it. You don't have to be the person at the top. Um, I really want to correlate this to real estate. So, and, and business in general, a lot of people that they, they want to carry, they want to carry like the, the sales hat and the marketing hat. No one could be the best salesman like me. But business gets easier the bigger you get because you pass on roles and responsibility and it shares the burden. So think of this like people like people that love like multi-million dollar deals and multi-family deals. There's five bosses that make that deal happen. There's a there's a private money guy. There's a people that person that found the deal. There's people that is going to manage the deal. And there's going to be people that there's going to be like multi-different facets that are going to a part of that transaction that make that make it work. And real people that do big business, they work as a team and they do it. They harness their skill. So Raph has a skill. Charles has a skill. I have a skill. We all don't have the same skill per se, but if we all group together, we can do something big and do something big and uh, at a big scale. We can do That's why I'm going to work at Hivemind, man. Hire me. <laughs> I want to work at Hivemind. And this is where like – I. And, this and you don't got to pay me. I'm not saying pay me a salary. I just want to be associated because I know this, what it's like. <laughs> I, I, t- I, I talked to Anthony about this. I'm like, for everybody that hangs around us, we're going to find a position for you because we want you to be a part of it. Because you guys, I mean, even Charles, like you, you helped mold us to the point where we're at. Where I don't know exactly where we're going to fit you in, but we're going to fit you in somewhere. We'll figure it out. And this we'll is where like, we'll and, and this is where like, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know where I'm gonna put my brother in, but I, I'm gonna. I, I need to like have that conversation and figure out where his skill set is. And like, okay, I have this position coming up, and when I when I need you full time, or you can quit your job, and I can put you on salary. This is where you're gonna be because I, I already know where your skill is at. So it's it's leveraging your your superpower, leveraging your skill that you might have honed in working at the job for ten years. You might have honed in, work, went to college, and you went to school for that, that you never even leveraged it again. Somewhere out there, somebody needs you to fill that position that, you good, that you're good at, that you love doing. And there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a quote, like, if, if, you, if you do something you love at the job you love, it, it's not work anymore. It's, it's enjoyment. You're producing, some, you're producing good energy because it's something you enjoy doing. Good people who won't rape you are essential to growing a business. And um, what's interesting is we always talk about like the rich employees of these companies. And we don't realize that a lot of those people, what they do to get rich as an employee is they forego a higher salary at a place that would pay them. That's more established. And they have a big long-term vision. Mm -hmm. And so 
what happens is they to to fill that gap, they give them equity. And they say, we're going to give you shares of the company. They ain't worth much now. But when the company goes public, you're going to be paid. And so you just got to see the vision. And a lot of times what happens is people will see like a young business and they send them invoices or they want to like downplay because they can't pay them big bucks in the, in the beginning. Like, oh, I'm not going to work for you for 40K when I can make blah, blah, blah. Y'all broke. Y'all can't pay. Yeah, we are broke. It's a brand new business. <laughs> like that doesn't mean that it doesn't have the ability to grow into something great. And that's why people like Raphael are great. People like Bruce Hill are great. Bruce Hill helps me and I've paid him sometimes. I haven't paid him other times, but he still shows up and helps and it helps build what this is. And he's going to be rewarded for that. Yep. You'll be rewarded for your loyalty. People, good people won't let you help them build something and then just be, give you the big F you once it blows up. And I think that Daniel and Anthony are good people. But if they ain't, I'm at to sue them. <laughs> so if I give them all this value up and it turns to a billion dollar company and they don't pay me, I'm going to be like, hey, fam, I'm at to sue you, man. But they're going to so, be so rich, it won't matter. They can pay me. <laughs> no, I, I really, I really want to hit on this because it's such, it's such a main point. And this is where, like, if you have a skill, you can go to the business world and if you provide that skill into a already established business, you can amplify that business where you're building in your own equity into an established business. That's a that's a that's a strategy that that people that do high level business they'll go into business and consult for equity. They'll they'll earn mm-hmm. in their equity. They'll 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 bring in their value add and take that business. Yep. If I increase your revenue five million dollars, I'll take a million of that. On, on, on the bottom yep. line, at the top, bottom line. If I and it could be a really established business, and there's people out there that do that. They'll go out there and put their put their skill on the line. I have a skill that I can put and accelerate your business. Let me let me earn some equity for this and take your mm-hmm. business to the next level. Like I don't want a salary. I just want to. I only want to get paid based on the value that I add. Yep, hundred percent. And if you know if and if you are a boss and you know the value you add to a business, that's not even a bad play. And the owner of that business is going to see it as, as a value add because now their business might five x, and they only got to pay this guy one x. And I'll do that deal all day long. Yep. So it's millionaires sending their kids to a great school off of that strategy, and their kid knows that exists, and they know they don't got to be LeBron James. Give your kids the ability to know they don't got to be LeBron James to get rich. Hmm. I, I saw a tweet the other day about how uh, a 10 year old got a concussion playing football. And I'm like, I'm taking my kid to the golf course. <laughs> I think Nolan's going to be on the swim team. You know, and it, it's crazy as it sounds like I'm not being facetious or, or like, like, come on, man, there's, there's better things out there. There's safer things out there. You don't have to be like, I, I hate, I hate the, the mentality of like, Basketball and sports is the only way to get out of the hood. Like, come on, man. There's other ways to do it, and there's there's more effective ways that, of amplification of your superpower to get to where you want to go. There's ways that if you put your energy into them, wouldn't just benefit you, but they benefit the community. Yeah. Like, why don't we focus on that? Why don't we focus on the things that can get everybody bread? and can improve the society that we live in instead of just making music. If I hear one more person say, I make music, I'm going to slap them. <laughs> like, bro, you don't make music. You're a rapper. That's two different things. You don't play oh, no instrument. 
You don't play no instruments. How you make music? Just say you a rapper, fam. So we can <laughs> tell you to stop. I even, remember even people who are successful at rappers need to stop. Like, stop that. I don't need to hear about that. I, you know, you know how I know rap is bad. It's like there's stuff that I'll listen to on my headphones that I won't listen to around other people. I was riding around with my dad. Yeah. And I listened to like the new Drake and 21 Savage. And he was like just saying all kind of outlandish stuff. I was like, I got to turn this off. Or I was like fish, fishing with my, my father-in-law and I was listening to Larry June. And I like Larry June, but I was like, man, I got to turn this off. He just like, this is derogatory stuff. That means I probably <laughs> shouldn't be listening to it in the first place. So rap sucks, whether you're an aspiring rapper or an established rapper. We just got to cut it out. And the sports thing is crazy. Like, um, even when my kids were in football, I was like, you know, it's cool that they play, but why are we so, why do we love football so much? Well, not me. In my country is soccer, which we call football. But anyway, American football is like, it's so dangerous in a way. I, I I don't want to scare anybody, but you're getting hit for for what you're putting too much emphasis on putting our kids into something that they could get a concussion or break their body, and then there's such a small chance of making it, and then you make it, and then there's a small chance you gain a million a year. Then you only play for like three years if you're lucky. It's like the success rate is so low. Yeah. And even the people that make it, making ten million a year, and then end up broke when they're finished. Like that was one of the things that uh, the Jewish phenomenon spoke to is they don't deny that being a professional athlete is lucrative. What they say is that the odds are so low that if you look at it mathematically, it doesn't make sense to pursue it. It's like playing the lottery. It's like saying Mm -hmm. I'm not going to work. I'm gonna just play the lottery for for a living. Like, that's what it's like. And a lot of people play that lottery and end up with nothing. Mm -hmm. Think about it. There's a lot of athletes out there who want to go pro and never go pro. They had their hopes and dreams on the lottery, and they didn't win the lottery. Yeah. Because that's why I don't play the lottery. The numbers don't make sense. It doesn't. That's why I don't gamble anymore. It's not in my favor. Do things that are in your favor, not just things that look glamorous and easy. And that's why people would play sports. That's why they rap. They don't rap because they have a passion for rapping. They rap because you get to hang out all day and drink and smoke and act like you're being productive. That's the appeal. The appeal is you can make a lot of money by not doing anything. You can make a lot of money and not have to study, not have to sacrifice, not have to learn anything. Like, that's what people are chasing. They're not chasing it because it's really that lucrative. They're chasing it because it's both lucrative and easy. They just want the easy route. And that's what that stuff looks like. It's an easy path to wealth. The funny thing about the sports versus lottery is that with the sports, you can't just – the lottery is all is all luck. It is all luck. But in sports, you got to work hard. And, and you got to be – and you gotta be lucky. And you Ooh. could work. You could have and the problem is you could have extraordinary out of this world once in a lifetime talent and work your butt off. And then you get hurt and you finish. Or you don't get hurt, but then your career could only last like 10, 20 years, and then you're still young when you're finished. 
Even if you play to 40, you're still young. We celebrate people like LeBron James and don't realize like there's one LeBron James in the entire world of hundreds of millions of people in the United States or billions globally. One, it's like that that one video that I posted is he was talking about how like if you look at the NBA draft and how many people get selected and then also of that draft, how many start and how many have long time careers. But then you look at the amount of kids that play high school basketball and the small number of them that go D1 and the small number of them that even make it to that draft. And so you have hundreds of thousands of kids who are competing for like 20 jobs. 20 jobs. Imagine those hundreds of thousands of people just said, I'm going to do something productive for my community. I don't even care about pro sports. What would the community look like? I watched, I watched the video recently and I was talking about how it was like a, it was corporate, it was like a corporate job. And they're like, Oh, we need you to be an internship for five to six, five to six months where you don't get paid nothing. And then she's like, well, I, well, how am I going to live? It's like, you know, this is a coveted job where there's a lot of people trying to get this position because we're a big corporate company. <laughs> and then the person just walked out. <laughs> like, is this really worth my time to work five, six months, even just for just for a title that doesn't really mean anything? And it's just one of those things where, like, the, the time and value and is it worth the title at all? Because co- corporate, corporate as a whole, they they paint and write things to make it seem like a win, but it's not really a win. Man, I was watching something on TikTok, and what they were saying is that the way that they position jobs to people is essentially by giving people what they want, even though it's not to their benefit. And so what they'll advertise a job is, we'll remove the uncertainty of you getting a paycheck. We will ensure that you can retire with dignity or retire at 62. We'll ensure that you can have a place to live. And so people are like, I want all those things. I want all those things, but they don't realize what they're giving up in the process. The uncertainty of income on one hand can look like $0 a day, or another hand can look like $7,500 in a day. And so maybe the uncertainty that you're running from is actually not that great. Or maybe retiring at 62 actually sucks when you have the ability to retire at 35. Yep. And so we're, or maybe having a roof over your head isn't really the goal when you could own multiple roofs or you, whatever that might look like to you. And so they promise all these things and they make it seem like it's something that's attractive and really is a trap. Big old trap. Jobs where your hopes and dreams go to die. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, <laughs> Charles, you you said, um, you kind of touched this on already, but you said, y'all don't know business, you only know hustle. It's an old tweet. It's an old tweet. I can't talk about that one. Oh, this guy. Too good for that. Because I don't have the thought. Like, if I didn't tweet it today, I have no idea what the foundation of that tweet was. I just know that I tweeted it at one point in time. So I like to tweet. I like to talk about stuff that I was in the moment of that day. So I'm probably supposed <laughs> to tell that one. One thing that I tweeted, I'm not sure if you're, you're going to ask, but I said, I'm not voting, bro. So I don't really care. And I didn't vote. I did not vote um, for a few reasons. One of the reasons I didn't vote is because I don't want to put my hopes and dreams in the hands of another person. I don't want to put whether I can accomplish something in the hands of a politician. I want to have that rest solely on me and what I can build and what I can learn. 
And I feel like a lot of times what people do is that's what they do. And I had that revelation by talking to my grandma. Because you drive through my grandma's neighborhood and everybody has a Stacey Abrams uh, flyer up on their on their lawn. And all those people are disappointed. Are all those people going to be motivated going forward? Probably not. They're probably going to feel like their hopes and dreams are crushed. Yeah. And so they're not going to do anything for the next four years while they're waiting for the next politician to come along and save them. The other thing is that my grandma made a comment and she was saying like, oh, yeah, Democrats are poor for the poor folks, for the poor folks. And I was like, but we ain't poor, grandma. And even if we don't have, mm. we can't enable ourselves poor folks. Like you should be making up, waking up every single day trying to not be poor. What are you doing if if, if, if you're not uh, like waking up trying to get to the next level? And honestly, I don't really talk about this much, but I had this thought recently. And my dad wanted me to help him buy a house. And my dad honestly wasn't that that wasn't really there for me that much. Like after I turned 18, he stopped paying child support, and that was it. I was up to fend for myself. And this man wanted me to help him buy a house. And I was kind of conflicted. I was conflicted because if I needed money to buy a house, he wasn't going to be there. And he would have told me that. He would have told me, you got to figure out yourself. And the same guys coming back wanted me to help him, wanted me to give him $10,000 to buy a house. And the worst part about it is he didn't want to take my advice. When he was getting out of the current living situation that he's in, he didn't want to take my advice. I told him my advice. But no, he was just like, nah, uh, I'm trying to close this deal. I'm trying to close this deal. Oh, you're not going to help me. And people were mad at me for a few months. They were mad. But I, I met, I went and hung on my dad this weekend. We kind of got over that. But like, people were really mad. Like, not just him, but my sister was mad. My sister's like, oh, you did that to dad. I was like, how much money you got on dad's $10,000 for his house? None. We're just going to be mad at him. Nevertheless, all the things that I've helped her with. But I think the real reason why I was not really that that willing to help my dad is because my dad retired at 50 and he spent the last 10 years watching fucking TV. My dad can mm. tell you every single show. He literally, in 50 years old, he has a federal job that paid him a good amount of money to just sit at home. And then he also was in the military to so take care of his benefits. He also has all these other pensions that are hidden off. But the thing is, is you have all this time. Why not go build something? Why not go get extra money out there? But he didn't do it. He just sat on the fucking couch. People don't help people who sit on the fucking couch, even if they're related to them. I'm not going to help you if you're bullshitting. I'll help you if you're grinding. I'll help you if you have a history of helping other people. But I'm not going to help a selfish person who's also lazy. And so going back to what I was talking about, which is why I didn't vote. I didn't vote because I feel like that promotes that the idea that Democrats are going to come along and help you because you're poor keeps people poor. I didn't want to leave my hopes and dreams to anybody, but I also didn't want to create an environment where I'm just waiting for the government. So I was like, whoever wins, I'm going to still choose me. I voted for me yesterday. That's who I fucking voted for. I'm not voting for no person who they, I'm not voting for Herschel Walker. I'm not voting for Caruso. I'm not voting for whoever the mayor is going to be of Ontario. It does not matter. What matters is what are we doing for ourselves? So much so what frustrates me is I was talking about how we have all these educated leaders and none of them actually get the ability to get into politics. Why? I don't know, but I'd rather us build our own kind of infrastructure where we can kind of start to build our own thing and have our own leaders within the community. And we're not just looking to whoever the Democrats or Republicans say we can have Herschel Walker. Like that's what I'm focused on. 
And I also just didn't want to be disappointed. I, I, I voted too many times to be disappointed. I was like, I don't want to be in here having all like, I hope this person wins and he doesn't win. So, um, yeah. I have more Democrat, Democrat or Republican, you, you're creating your own future. That's just the bottom line. And I, I, I see this. I see that the same way, and I, I have like conversations. Like my family does really big into politics too, and I'm like, like they're not going to help you on an individual. They don't care about the Martinez household in your city. They don't care about you. You're just a number to them. So it's all about creating your own future, hundred percent. Hundred percent. And it was also kind of an experiment that I was doing. I was like, let's just see what happens if I don't vote this time. I didn't. I didn't want Joe Biden to be the president. He's the president now. So I'm like, I'm quitting. But apparently that was like, they're saying that's a big thing. <laughs> did did like, Joe like, Biden stop you from making money? I think so a little bit. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know. I know, but like, did he physically like, I'm going to stop Todd Capital Mastermind and, and, and Todd no, I'm, still out, I'm still out here really? grinding. I'm still out here doing what I got to do. I never stopped because he got in the office, but he definitely made me take a hit on them stocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean it's... Uh, the wannabe billionaire. <laughs> you, should, yeah, you, should that, you should have brought up that tweet. That was funny. Which one? <laughs> the, the the wannabe billionaire. Oh, the guy who said that? <laughs> I didn't yeah, see that was, one. That guy's kind of a jerk. I have him muted. Because, like, I don't know. There's this cert, sort of, like, elitism that kind of moves through, like, black lawyer Twitter where they kind of poo-poo any idea that's not theirs. And they'll kind of like, they're, they're, e- even their tweets sound condescending. It's like, how your Twitter sound condescending? And so his Twitter kind of was condescending because like the way he said it is like, I'm better than you. I don't know anything about you, but because I'm a black lawyer and that's rare, I'm better than you. He don't even know I got a law degree. He didn't even know I got more money than him. He didn't know that. He just knew like, this is the black guy. I'm a black lawyer, therefore. And so I just thought it was kind of interesting. And that's why I kind of adopted the name Imaginary Billionaire. I was like, I own it. You laugh at it, I own it. I'm an imaginary billionaire. But I'd rather, I'd rather be an imaginary billionaire than a real life forever government employee. Like you ain't never gonna get out of that race. And you know what's gonna happen? All they can teach his son how to do is be a government employee, which is just like we talked about before. I'm teaching my son to own real estate and stocks. You're teaching your son to be a government employee. You're passing down struggle and the grind and all the things you had to do. You can't give your son what you have. You can't say, I have a law degree, so here's your law degree. You can't yeah. say, I have a government job that's going to pay me a good pension. And that was one of the things I noticed even with my dad. Like, he has a pension. He can't give none of that stuff to us. As soon as he's gone, that's gone. Yep. And I think that's kind of what also frustrated me about him not building anything is because, like, it's like a selfish way to go through life. Not building anything is selfish. Pinching it away is selfish. You can't leave your kids anything. Hmm. Yeah, imaginary billionaire, and I own it. No, so that's where that came from. Yeah, and I, 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 I think it's funny because people, people always like they, they always want, they always have their own opinion, thinking it's it's mm. fact, but no one really knows anything. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I, it, it's like the. Uh, it's it's like pe- people have their their own opinion that they built and they're they're willing to die on that hill, but it doesn't fucking matter. Give me an example. Um, 
like politic people in politics like oh i'm democrat for life because they're gonna change the world and it's like what have they done for you today <laughs> but there, there people people will die on that hill or people people that stuck in corporate oh i'm i'm, gonna, I'm the i'm the manager like guess who got laid off guess who got laid off in all the tech jobs this week Mm. You know what's interesting about that tech stuff, Raphael? I was thinking about this because I knew on the internet when tech Twitter was really thumbing their nose at like entrepreneur Twitter for a while. And they're like, oh, I got a tech job with no credentials. Honestly, I think that that wave of tech hiring of people who are underqualified was because they were losing employees due to COVID. And so they had to fill the gap. And then after that was over, folks started getting released. A lot of tech companies have been letting people go. But you know what happens on Twitter? They brag about their successes and hide their failures. IML didn't announce that they were going, that they were losers. They just slowly, quietly went away, the Forex guys. Like when they were on top, they was on top. You'll see nothing by them anymore. Yeah. It, it, that, that part's the crazy part about it too, is like, you know, you know somebody's in the trenches when they when they talk about their L's. When they talk about their L's, like uh, I seen one of the one of the guys I went to, uh, he went to like a neighboring school of mine. He's talking about, oh, I got promoted to this job, and I'm like, like you still working for somebody else, man? Like they can cut, they can choose to cut you no matter how good of an employee you are. They can choose to cut you at any point, and mm-hmm. you're always you're always at the will of your your superiors. Oof. Always at the will of your superiors, and how long how long will your superior let you stay there <laughs> i've experienced that, it man. i've had great jobs that i thought were going to be great jobs forever yep. and they weren't forever apparently cuz i'm here with y'all right now so <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a video i saw about, about this recently the uh, tech company they started like a website ended up selling it to AOL for 850 million dollars AOL fumbled the bag, sold it off to another company for twenty million, and then they fumbled the bag. And the comp- the couple that built that, they sold it for eight hundred fifty, bought it for that same company, bought like seven years later for a mill. I think I remember. And then mm. it up again and sold it again for twenty five. The same company that they built from scratch. So th- I-, I heard this recently about businesses that everybody thinks your business is forever. Think of your business as as an exit strategy because. Times change. People thought Blockbuster would be around forever, but they eventually got they didn't they didn't adapt and change, and they got they never sold. People still holding Blockbuster Blockbuster stock took it to zero. You know, so people that are buying and holding, you got to think of your business as as a temporary thing that um, you have to pass down, pass down equity, pass down CEO positions. I don't want to be the CEO of Hydemind forever. I want to hire a CEO. I want to be the owner of it, but I want to be the 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 C. And like I said. It, I, I, I've now like had mine. It was like a thing. Like I'm gonna take it forever. But like now I'm like thinking, okay, what's the exit strategy? I'm not gonna do this forever. I don't want to do this forever. This is something that's gonna my one success is gonna take me to the next level. But what's my exit strategy? Because it's not also, the crazy thing about you guys' business is since it's based on MRR, you actually could value your company at a multi-million dollar company and oh, yeah. sell it. Yep. So it's like, that's interesting. But I was, so I was in uh, downtown LA 
in the arts district. And the arts district is basically just like old warehouse. They converted into lofts and uh, restaurants and whatnot. So I was talking to the tattoo guy and he told me that the guy who owns the building that he's in owns all the buildings out there. So what do you think my question was? What did he do to get that stuff? Apparently he had a toy manufacturing company or toy importing company. Cause that used to be like the toy district in downtown LA. And he used all the money that he made with toys and he started buying up the properties that were there. And he just held on to them. And so that's why write-off culture isn't good because as you're bringing in money, you do need to be putting into something that's permanent because you never know when that industry is going to shift. And I'm pretty sure he got put out of business by maybe Toys R Us or whatever might have created, might have popped up. And it's like you always have to be kind of knowing that you could go out of business at one point. One thing that I noticed when I was working in banking is the people that had the most money in their accounts were the entrepreneurs. And they just had reserves because they knew it was uncertain. And so we're talking about the uncertainty of your income. Well, part of that is the reason why they're wealthy is because they know their income is uncertain. So they got to keep cash. One of the reasons why I have dividends and I have cash is because I know it ain't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And so when you step into business, understand that it's not going to last forever. You're going to do things that create wealth because you're doing it out of necessity as opposed to doing it out of like, I hope to retire one day. Most people, they don't ever get to that retirement number. And that's why they got social security because they didn't save enough. Because you can't really save enough. It's not meant for that. They don't pay you enough to save enough. Because if they paid you enough to save enough, you wouldn't show up on Monday. And they got to keep you coming back. So they pay you just enough to come back on Monday. <laughs> so um, I, I tweet. I tweeted about this. And like every, everybody doesn't understand like the, the time and velocity of money. So like uh, I tweeted about this on November 4th here. And it was, uh, it was like a big New York article about how somebody bought – uh, a, a building for $77,000 49 years ago, and they sold it for $26 million. And you hear that 77 to 26 million, you think like, man, that's an amazing return. I did the math and I broke it down in the tweet. It's a 10% year return on that building for holding that year over year for 50 years or 49 years. So like, yes, that 10% is a great return, but what's the stock market do? 8%. So if you if 8 to twelve percent, mm-hmm. if if you would he would invest that same seven seven thousand dollars in the stock market, he might have got twenty six million dollars over four nine years. So it's not like he's a genius; it's just the time velocity of money. So I in my tweet I talked about like if you can find ways to increase your ROI or yield over that ten percent, he could have done that in a third of the time or. A, a, a half the time, you know, and it's all about how uh, amplification of money and time. So, I, and like 77, like when I saw the numbers, 77 to 26 million, like I have to do the math. I have to do the math. Mm-hmm. I'm just a number, I'm this guy. So I'm like, it's, it's only, it was like a 10.3% ROI. And I'm like, okay. I know it's it's also the, the patience too. Yeah. Patience. 100%. You got to have like the willingness to wait. And yep. a lot of people don't have the willingness to wait. What they would do is they would buy it for 77. See, it went to 140. I'm like, damn, I just doubled my money. We out. <laughs> and that's that's stock. That's people that do stocks. So like, I got 300% ROI in, in three months. Let me just let it go. But if you were to hold those stocks, whoo, mm-hmm. or hold, hold, hold that crypto or whatever that is. No, I don't hold the crypto. Don't hold the crypto. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's on sale right yeah. now. How much more on sale will it get? 
<laughs> it's not a sale, man. It's just going down to its true value. But Love. we can't make the crypto. So, that's, Daniel. That's another, another conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's another conversation. You talked earlier about um, how podcasting has paid off for you. What What would you tell like business owners or people in general about the benefits of podcasting? Um, I'll tell you the benefit. It's uh, credibility and it's like a two, three year play. Like how long is how long, when did you start Tweet Talk? Three years ago. Three years ago. So you really don't see results till two, three, two, three years into the into the game. And it's a long-term play. I, I posted a video about uh, it was from Riverside. Riverside FM, they posted a video, they're on TikTok, and they're talking about that there's like 2.4 million podcasts, but 90% of them haven't hit three episodes. So how many right. podcasts are out there? So if you're there's 400 million listeners ready to listen to podcasts, but only 24,000 of them have produced more than three episodes. So you're really early on a trend just by producing content. And here's tangibly how we've made money. If you if you have a product or service, leverage the podcast 100%. Position your podcast at, as credibility for your product or service. If you don't have a product or service, find products towards your listener's niche that you can affiliate for and monetize it that way because you will make more money off your product or service or affiliating for a good product or service than you will ever buy podcast ads. And this is the crazy part about like building your own audience. Like there's YouTubers that have millions of followers, but they only make 15,000 a month. Like I did 15,000 a month, I think in six months of my own business. So it's one of those things where like, if you build that business and harness it through a podcast and YouTube, then you can really take, you can really make a lot more money with less of an audience and posi- and make a huge going. So I, and, for, and this is my, 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 my case study. I had a client come in uh, last week. He came in, found me on the podcast. He dropped over $4,000 in two days on products and services that I provide just because of the podcast. Mm. So in my head, I'm like, okay, that's just one client. And that's, that's been like the, the one like standout client that dropped a big lot of money like that. And I'm like, this is just the beginning. I'm going to have clients maybe next week, next month. Tomorrow, they're going to come do the same thing, and that's the power of the podcast. And it's seasoning. Two, three years of seasoning, you're in, you're in the you're in the clouds, and you're going to make money forever off the content. You don't have to do anything else after that point because it's still going to season and season and season. It's just layering layering ice on the cake. That more business is going to come to you just because of that seasoning. Yeah, man. So many benefits. But we run along, so we're gonna go into that a little later. But be sure to grab the podcast star deluxe podcast course, pay what you want. Link in the bio, link in the chat, link in the show notes. Get it now. We're gonna wrap this up. Daniel, let them know where they can find you, where they can find Hive Mind. I am literally everywhere. If you if you cannot find and I was laughing about this because somebody's like, Oh, where can I find you? I'm like, Google's a thing. Like uh, if, I'm a, if you're on podcast long thing, you can find me on Google. Like I'm on Instagram. You search at Hivemind CRM. You search Daniel Hivemind. That's why I made my name Daniel Hivemind because if you type that into Google, you're gonna find me. <laughs> so Daniel Hivemind, Hivemind CRM. We're literally on Twitch, Pinterest, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Um, I don't even know Twitter, Facebook, Twitter. Like 
<laughs> omnipresence, man. Omnipresence. Omnipresence. If it, well, your favorite social media platform, just touch at Have My CRM. We'll be there. That's the power. There you go. There you go. Be sure to follow us, the podcast, on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow my guy Charles on Twitter at Rail Todd Billion because there's only one. Actually, there and there's a fake one that was very convincing. There's a fake guy on on Twitter that looks so real. I was like, man, you know, I got to buy my uh, my Twitter blue. That's right, Twitter blue. We verified now. (laughs) But you know what's funny though (laughs) is they make it so cheap that everybody can verify themselves. So now people are getting the fake pages verified. I saw a guy. There's a guy. There's a guy that's pretty big on uh, on YouTube, Richard Fain. This is not the exactly the same thing, but Richard Fain, he's on YouTube. You got like a, a decent audience, but on Twitter, he doesn't have a big audience. He got like maybe five thousand followers. I follow. I saw a fake Twitter page that's copying him, and that page had like eleven thousand. It was it's like the, the fake page had more followers than they than he did. They said it as like a baseline. That's kind of like all the fake pages have about eleven thousand followers. Like my fake pages have like eleven thousand followers. But the one I saw uh, the other day, he had he had to like two capital I's, so it looks like two L's. So it was like, wait a minute. They are very convincing and good at what they do. It's 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 frustrating, but it's like, what can you do, man? They're like roaches. You kill one and more pop up. It's like, man. They they're like people are like I'm gonna report the page and report the page and another one pops up another one pops up. Yep. What can you like do? I, what can you do? Like I said, follow yeah. us on Twitter at Tweet Top Pod. That's P O D. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow myself on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel Hive Mind. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow the parent company at Todd Capital. Also follow us on TikTok at Todd.Capital and at Tweet Talk Pod for episode 143 of Tweet Talk the Black Podcast. Are you leaving one last tweet? Yes, we are going to leave you guys with one last tweet. And the tweet is Charles, Charles, you said sometimes the solution is creating the solution and become a billionaire. I am your host, Raphael, for my co-host Charles, a.k.a. Todd Billionaire. We are out of here. Yeah. Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm going to give you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.